But I love the fellowship, which is, is a little bit of what this morning's about. We're going to be talking about community, fellowship. We're going to be talking about communion and the Lord's Supper and, and how Paul brings the two together. But before we do, I, I just want to you know, trip down memory lane. Can we do that for a minute? Can you indulge me? I, I guess I get to do this because I, I get to. I'm talking. <laughs> um, a little over 24 years ago, was one of the most memorable events of my life, right up here on this platform. And, and that was the day that I got married. I, I just have some wedding pictures from, from back then. Don, can you show the first one? There we go. <laughs> so this is, this is my wedding party and just had a bunch of guys around me that were friends and, and relatives that that meant a lot to me, and God was just just bringing this day as a very special day in my life. Next picture, you might recognize these people. So this was a lot of fun. The next picture, just sort of the setting, the scene of, of the wedding, and just wait, we had a, a choir loft back then, but um, just waiting up there. Just a memorable day, right? What's missing? Well, well, you know, this was a memorable day for me. <laughs> Are all the ladies thinking, you're a jerk right now? <laughs> I, yeah, you, you notice, right away you notice, okay, what's missing? The other person. Why is it memorable? Because, and don't, don't switch yet. I, I do have other pictures. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, he better show one of Susie. Um, if I was just to show this and just to talk about this day and how it impacted me, what would you think of me? Self-centered, right? Oh yeah, it's all about you. Now what if, you know, what if we took out our wedding album at home and I said, hey Suze, let's look at our wedding pictures. I said, hey, you, you, you sit in the family room, I'm going to go in the dining room. We'll look at our pictures and, and please don't talk to me, I want to be able to focus on the pictures. Am I missing the point of looking through the pictures? I'm missing the point of remembering. Don, to, to show that I'm not a jerk. <laughs> Thanks. This was that same scene, but when my, my beautiful bride had joined me. Then go on. It's us going down the aisle, and I think just two more quick ones. One of our wedding party. Um, that was a little bit ago. Some of you are... And then... That was me feeding her nicely right before she shoved cake in my face. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Thanks, Don. You can take those down. Otherwise, no one will pay attention to me. Um, the point of remembering the day, though, is to bring us closer together, right? To, re- to celebrate what God did in our lives, not just my life. To celebrate that He brought us together and through His sovereignty and through really a miraculous set of events brought Susie into my life because He knew that I needed her. And he knew that this is the best way for us to minister for him would be to be get together. You might say, well, what does that have to do with communion? The church at Corinth was having a little bit of a similar problem, but not so much with weddings, but in their community, in their, in their life of their church. They were coming to communion and they were coming with this idea of the Lord's Supper that it's all about them. And really only them. Self-centered is a word that I would use. And you mentioned that about me with the first few pictures. Self-centered is a word that I would use because they weren't considering anyone else. They had missed this idea that we don't eat alone. 
We don't take communion alone. We take it together. And so many times I think we can miss that same concept because in our society we're very individualistic. And in fact, when we come to the elements, what do we usually focus on? What has Christ done in my life? That He has died on the cross for my sins. For forgiveness of my sins. Those are great things. Don't get me wrong. But that's not the complete picture that Christ was thinking of when He gave us the Lord's Supper to to observe. And so Paul here is going to give a corrective on the Lord's Supper to the church at Corinth. A church that we know was living in a very difficult time, a very ungodly world, and he's helping them figure out how do you live godly with the pressures of this world around you. And we had seen so much of worldliness had crept into the church. And last week we talked, or two weeks ago, we talked about some issues of worship and women in head coverings. And as they took their head coverings off, they were, they were coming out from under the authority God had given them. But more than that, it was an immodest act. And so they were distracting people in worship. And so there were problems in worship. And now Paul goes on to, to a very serious problem in worship, that of self-centeredness when we come to the Lord's table. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 17. And Paul starts by giving us a little bit of what the situation is. And I've sort of put my own title on the situation, How to Kill Community in a Church. So in case you don't like people and don't like community, this is a good way to pretty much destroy it in a church. And this is where Paul starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there are extra Bibles underneath the chairs that are ESV. And if you don't have one at home, we'd love for you to just take that with you. And that be our gift for you so you can um, read God's Word and have God's Word. But 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, and And let's look at the situation. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So Paul starts by by saying, I don't have any praise for you in this. And in fact, when you come together, and that was a term that was used for coming together for worship, when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. And the word for worse there is that it harms. It's actually doing harm. And so Paul is basically saying, I'd rather you not get together. Don't even come together if you're going to cause harm to each other, because this is damaging the assembly. He goes on to say why. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So we see Paul paint the situation. And they were coming together, but they weren't coming together, is sort of my my summary for this. Yeah, they were here physically, but they weren't here emotionally for each other. They weren't here as part of a community. Just like in marriage, sometimes I've heard the phrase that time solves all problems. Is that ever true? No, no, time makes problems worse because we haven't talked about it. We haven't dealt with it. We haven't worked through it. And in the same way, I've heard people say, well, in community, we just have to get together. Well, getting together isn't enough. Our, our warm bodies in the chairs doesn't suddenly create a sense of church family, does it? 
We can be here and we can go home and, and have harmed community. And Paul is talking about you're harming community. Just being here isn't enough. It's how we act when we're here. What we're thinking about. How we come together matters. A couple things you see there. He, call, he says that there are divisions or schisms among you. And factions. And we, we saw that early on in 1 Corinthians, right? What were the factions about there? What were the divisions? People, right? Leaders. I am of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Well, I, I'm more spiritual than you. I am of Jesus. And so we saw people dividing into groups. This is a different division. So this isn't talking about the same thing. We know from the context, what's being divided here is sort of the haves and the have-nots. The rich and the poor. Those with status and those that didn't have status. And we know from our, our background of Corinth that status was everything. Okay? When, when, when I had a certain job that gave me a certain prominence in the community, that was everything. When I had money that gave me a certain level of, of popularity, a level of respect. And that was infiltrating the church. See, was it, what it looks like was happening. And there's a couple different possibilities. But they were coming together in verse 20. And Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. You think you are, but it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. And in the practice of the early church, they would come together to worship and they would almost always include meals in their worship. Isn't that cool? I think we should do that more. You know, people say we always have food at Christian gatherings, but they, they would have a, a feast and they would call it a love feast or an agape feast. And they would come together and they would have this, this potluck basically together. Sometimes the rich would, in fact, usually the rich would provide a lot more because they were wealthy and, and had more to offer. And, um, but everyone would bring what they could. They'd come together and they'd eat together and they'd celebrate the communion that God had given them with each other. They'd worship, study God's Word, and then they'd take the Lord's Supper together. And so it was all sort of one event. And um, it looks like weekly. Now the early church in Acts, it almost looks like daily they were doing this because they just couldn't get enough of each other. But they were coming together to eat and there were problems in how they were coming together to eat. It says in 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. And that's where there, there's a couple different possibilities of what this is. I, I think the most likely is that the rich were coming together and they, they'd bring all the food. And one of the things about having money in that culture is you didn't have to work as long. Or you didn't have to work as all, at all. So they would be able to come to the gatherings earlier than the people that are out in the fields or the servants that were serving the rich. And so they would come together, bring their food together, and instead of waiting, they would just put it out and say, let's eat, it's hot. And so they would just gorge themselves and eat. A little bit later, the poorer people, the ones that are just really struggling, they would come in and from a hard day in the field or wherever they were, and they would sit down to eat, and there just wouldn't be much left, if anything. But you're seeing the other people in your church saying, man, I'm stuffed. And you haven't had any food all day. What would that do to community? It would destroy it. On top of that, as they've uh, uncovered houses of the time and, and looked at the history of the time, the houses were made where there was this, this dining room or the central room, the triclinium they, they called it, with the table. And that's where the master of the house... Remember, all this is happening in house churches. 
the master of the house would dine in there. And there was room for 9, 10, 12 other people. So he would bring his friends in. And, and the house churches usually were at the church of somebody with means because they had the house to host everybody. And so he and his friends, his, his cohorts, would be together dining in, in, in luxury and they actually would get the better food in, in their culture. This is, this is part of just normal life in Corinth. Whereas everyone else would be out in the atrium, either standing or sitting against a wall or whatever, and they would get the leftover food in sight of the others. And so both of those factors probably are at play here. And to them, this is normal life. Servants don't eat with masters. The people that don't have money, they deserve the leftovers. Do you see a problem with this? Because in God's economy, Jesus Christ died for every one of us. And He died to bring every one of us as equal parts of the body of Christ. And they were coming together. That's how they were eating. And then they'd say, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Who felt like celebrating the Lord's Supper? The rich. How do you think the poor felt? Left out. Ignored. Hungry. Interesting situation. A a travesty of what God intended for His church. One goes hungry. The poor people probably. Another gets drunk. Those that were able to get er there early and gorge on everything and use up everything. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And Paul's saying, if you're hungry, if you, if you just can't wait, because, you know, they probably didn't care about blood sugar back then, but because your blood sugar drops or whatever, if you can't wait, eat at home. Don't let this attitude creep into the church. In fact, in 18 and 19, you get a, a picture for how frustrated he is. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, and he's being a little sarcastic here, I think. And then in 19, there's a lot of debate. What does verse 19 mean? For there, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you must, may be recognized. And some scholars think that, oh, okay, Paul's recognizing there has to be differences. That way you can tell who's really a believer. In the context here, I would side with the scholars that say Paul's just being sarcastic here. And he's saying, oh, yeah, uh, I, I can't even believe what you're doing, but you know, I, I know it must be true, because, or you must have to do that because the rich people have to prove themselves worthy by what they eat. And that would have been a common thought in Corinth. So I would hold that he's just being real sarcastic here, digging the knife in. Because this is a problem. How to com- kill community in a church. Look at verse 22, second half. Paul's conclusion or his synopsis of the situation. Or do you despise the church of God? And that's an important phrase there. Because for where Paul's going with this, he's talking about the church as God's community, God's body, Jesus' body. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? That stings a little bit, doesn't it? He's attacking them for self-centeredness. He's attacking them for putting others down, for not being concerned about others, for missing the point of the Lord's Supper. It would be like if at our next potluck, 
I said, you know what, we're going to, we like the light side of the sanctuary better. So we're going to let you guys go in first and, and, and just eat whatever you want. And you guys go in, okay, and, and we're sitting here and we're hungry after church because, you know, maybe I've gone till one or two or something like that. And, and we're hungry and then we all go in to eat the potluck and there's no food left. And so we sit down at tables, maybe get a little scraps, and then some of these people, sorry guys, uh, maybe, Jimmy, can I pick on you? Okay, so J- you're sitting next to Jimmy and he goes, oh, that was an incredible potluck. I had five different things. I can't even eat another bite. Does that make it a little more personal? How do you feel about Jimmy at that point? We love you. (laughs) I'm just trying to make it real what's happening. And that's the kind of thing that's happened. When we don't consider each other, when we come to worship, when we, when we don't consider each other's needs, when we just brush past each other and don't even care about or even notice each other on Sunday mornings, we are guilty of this action. We are guilty of not being considerate of the body of Christ. We come here to worship together. And so Paul goes on in the passage, and that's the backdrop for what we want to talk about in the Lord's Supper today in communion. Because now he'll give some instructions on the Lord's Supper. And in the middle of this ugly passage on what the church at Corinth is doing, we have one of the most beautiful descriptions of the Lord's Supper and communion in God's Word. Because Paul is is correcting here. He's gently saying, this is what communion should be about. And as we read it and as we talk through the next verses about what communion and what the Lord's Supper is about, I want you to think in terms of community. We don't usually do that. This is sort of odd for us, but the context here is Paul is correcting a problem in community, and so we need to read this with community in mind. And so we come to verse 23, and some of the things... We've taught through this passage before. We've talked through principles So some of these things are reminders. But since that's what the Lord's Supper is about, reminding us, it's good to be reminded of what we should think about. What should we remember as we come to the Lord's Supper? In verse 23 there it starts, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And Paul is saying this is a command from God, from Jesus Himself. I received it as a tradition. I'm passing it on to you. This is what we should be doing. He says that the Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed took bread. And the context here is the disciples of the night before he's, he's betrayed, before He's crucified, they're celebrating Passover together. The meal that celebrated God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of, the, out of slavery in Egypt, right? And Jesus redefines it and says, I want you to celebrate the same thing, but remember of my deliverance from sin because of my sacrifice on the cross. And his betrayer is right there, it says, on the night he was betrayed. There were community issues even in in the twelve. But Jesus is, is saying, this is what I want you to practice. When we talk about, as, as we're going to, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, just a, a quick note before we jump into it, the idea of remembrance is far more than just re- recalling. Think, think of my wedding pictures. If I had just remembered it as a series of facts and didn't remember the relationships and didn't remember the impact that event had on my life, I wouldn't really be remembering it. 
I would be recalling some facts, but not remembering it. And when Jesus uses the word remembrance here, He's referring to an event in the past that continues to affect your future and present. Just like marriage is an event in the past, but it better be affecting your present and your future. Having kids is an event in your past, but it affects your, your present and future, right? You, you, you should take your kids home from church, for instance. You should remember them. And, and so that event, that remembering affects our actions. And so when we come to Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me, He is saying, this is more than recalling, I want this to change your life, to affect your life. This is participation with our hearts and actions and our minds into what He has accomplished, what He has done. And so Jesus, in these next verses, gives the Lord's Supper a symbolism that represents so many parts of our our spiritual walks and our Christian lives. So I have five things that I want us to remember as we take communion. We'll go through these fairly quickly because then I want to do it together and, and, and remember these five things together and put this into practice. The first is to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. What has God, God done through Jesus Christ? And as Paul is trying to, to correct their behavior, the first thing he comes back to is, what's the reason we do this? What is the main reason? And so he said in verse 23, as I was reading, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the first thing Paul brings them back to is remember Jesus. Look at Jesus. This is about what he has done on the cross for us. Not just for me, but for us. And that's the the community aspect. And so we remember back to His sacrifice. And these elements are symbols of that. When we take the bread together, this is a symbol for His body. And that's the first thing Jesus said to do is you take the bread as a symbol of His body. And and bread was often symbolic of life as well. And, And so this is symbolic of Christ giving His body freely on the cross for us. The sacrifice that He made for us. And, and we, we can think through all the, the things on the cross and what He went through on the cross, but it's bigger than that. When we think about and what it says, this is My body given for you, which is for you, Jesus chose to go to the cross for us. He chose to die for us. He chose to give His life for us. Why did He do that? What was that? Love. He loved us. And we are, we as sinners are out of relationship with Him. We have turned our back with Him. We deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. And He still loved us. And He still chose to give His life for us. When we take the bread, we should remember that sacrifice, that selflessness, but also that love. He gave His life that we might have life. When we take the cup together, and we at Village, we, we celebrate with grape juice, but the red represents Christ's blood. And as, as we read there, Jesus said, this is the, the blood of a new covenant. And that new covenant 
was, was significant to them because the Old Covenant said if you sinned, you had to go kill animals. Um, as, as looking forward to Christ, kill animals, shed their blood as payment for your sin because something had to die. But Jesus, He changed all that. And He became the sacrifice for our sins. And He died on the cross. His blood was shed. And that took the penalty for our sins. But I love the word covenant there. Because it's a reminder to me that His forgiveness through His blood, He is promising and covenanting will happen. As I come to Him and I have all kinds of junk in my lives, life and things that I need to confess, things that I'm asking for forgiveness, He covenants that He will forgive. Because He's paid the price completely. I don't have to pay anymore. Nothing is lacking. He has covered my sins once and for all. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, For this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the cup represents Christ's blood that was shed in my place for my sins, allowing me to be adopted into His family. And as we take that, we look back and we do realize the depth of His sacrifice. But Jesus doesn't want us to sit here and mourn His death when we take this. He wants us to celebrate His victory over sin. To celebrate that that sin is paid for and we have eternal life and forgiveness of sins if we believe in Him. This is a celebration, not a a funeral. Christ has won. Let's celebrate with Him. So when we come... We want, to, we want to think of what did Christ sacrifice on the cross. But we want to also think of what did He accomplish on the cross? What difference has it made? When we think of community, we want to think of what difference has it made in the church? What price has He paid not only for me to be part of His family, what price has He paid for you to be part of that family? For the person sitting next to you? For the person that annoys you, what price has Jesus paid for them to be part of the family? That changes things. It changes how we look at each other. One person was talking about this meal and thinking of the Lord's Supper together and called it the most expensive meal in history. Because it was paid for by the blood of the King. By the blood of Christ. And so when we come, we want to remember forgiveness of sins. We want to remember that sacrifice. Remember that incredible love, that incredible grace that is given to us. We want to look at Jesus. Verse 26, though, has a a couple of other things that Paul is bringing into this, that Jesus brought into this, rather. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And the second thing we want to remember is to always be looking forward. Proclaim the Lord's death until what? Until He comes. You know what that means? It's okay to smile at this one. That means He's coming back. That means this world is not all that there is. Praise God. You looked at the news? I praise God this world is not all that it is. As, as I think through even this week, some of the heartaches and some of the difficulties that our church body is experiencing, this isn't it. 
This is the Genesis 3 world that will be changed because Jesus is coming back. And when we take communion, it's a reminder He's coming back. This is not a world that I need to lose hope in because this is temporary. What an incredible thing to remember as we take communion. It's assurance of a future with Jesus. It's a promise we will see Him again. It's a confidence we are forgiven. It is a joy that says there's something much better to come. Are we excited about His return? I don't think we talk about it enough personally. I don't think we dream about it enough. It's okay to dream of heaven. It's okay to look forward to what life in perfect communion with Jesus Christ will be like. We're looking forward to that wedding feast where we will be united with Christ. But also the community aspect will be united together with Christ. There will be no more difficulties between us. No more relationship problems. No more bitterness. No more challenges. Because we'll be together in the presence of the King. Look at Jesus. Look forward. The third thing is out of that same verse, we need to look outward. Look to a lost world that needs this news. He, he, the wording that Jesus uses is there for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And that word can mean a lot of things, right? I'm proclaiming right now to, to a nice, safe group of, of believers that know me. But that word for proclaim, every other time it's used in Scripture, is used of sharing the Gospel. Isn't that interesting? And so Jesus is saying, as you eat this together, you are sharing the Gospel. This is a living sermon. Because we're remembering what Jesus has done. We're looking forward to being reunited with Him. But we're proclaiming that He is the only forgiveness for sins. He is the only hope in this lost world. He is the only hope of eternity with Christ rather than eternity in hell. And so this is an acted out sermon. And it's more powerful, I would argue, in the context of community. Especially in a disconnected world where we think we're so connected with our thumbs, but we're not making the relationships we need to make. And and people are desperate for relationships. If people can come and see what the blood of Jesus covers, and that we can have 250 people that actually get along, that actually enjoy each other's company, that enjoy going to lunch together, That's a living sermon, people. Because we're showing the results of the blood of Christ. Look outward. Every time we take communion, we should be thinking, who can I be praying for that needs Christ? This isn't just for me. Other people need to be joined at this table. You know, Pastor Leroy used to use the metaphor of extending the table. This is extending the Lord's Supper table. Who do I want to be at this table with me next month? The month after. It's a different way of thinking. But it's what Jesus said we need to be have in mind. Paul goes on in verse 27 and we see the fourth thing to remember. We need to look inward. Look inward. Spend some time of confession. And in Paul's context here, again, is community and the sins against each other in community. 
But the, the broader principle is that we need to be dealing with any sin in our lives. In verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And these are chilling verses. And they should be. They sh- this is the warning flag. The shot across the bow. Because he says, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner or a manner that is not appropriate to the sacrifice that we are, are symbolizing, then you're guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And, and that's a, a legal term that says, if we come to this table in an unworthy manner, with sin in our own lives, not right with God, sin against each other, not right with each other, we are guilty of putting Jesus on the cross. The same penalty as the guy that drove in the nails. Paul is shocking them into awareness of what is actually happening at this table. When we come with unconfessed sin, when we come irreverently, we are profaning the body and the blood and mocking His death. That's the warning. But in these verses, you see the beauty of forgiveness too. Because He says, the warning, whoever eats this bread, drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty. But then 28, let a person examine himself. Judge himself. Am I right with God? Is there anything I need to deal with? Do I have relational issues that I need to deal with? But then catch the last half of the verse. Because some people stop there and say, oh, I can never take communion. I'm not perfect. It's not what he's saying. He says, then examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He's saying, look at yourself, but deal with it. Say, God, I, I am sorry. I am a sinner. I repent of how I've come to the table. I repent of my attitudes towards people in this room. Forgive me. Then you can eat. Forgiveness happens. And I'm not talking cheap words. I'm talking a sincere, genuine repentance that says, I want to be right with God. What an incredible promise that Paul gives that says you can eat. Examine yourself. Deal with it. And then let's eat together. It's a type of monthly checkup. We need those things. We need to pause in our normal schedule of life and say, God, is there any sin in my life that I need to deal with? God, what attitude did I come to church with this morning? Was it just about me and what I would get out of the worship and what I would get out of the sermon and how I would be fed? Or did I come considering the body of Christ? And finally, number five, we need to look around. And this is the, the, Paul's main point of this text. We're eating together. Look around at the people around us because that's who we are taking communion with. And so we go on, 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Powerful verse. And catch this one. For anyone who eats and drinks, speaking of the Lord's Supper, without discerning or considering the body. And there's all kinds of debate about what the body is here, but the body is is representative of two different things. Number one, the body of Christ that was given on the cross. But number two, in the context, who is the body of Christ? 
the church. And in fact, he's already talked about that in 1 Corinthians. In the next chapter, he's going to talk about that when he says in verse 12 of chapter 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We cannot get around that what Paul is saying here, if we come to the table without considering each other, we are guilty. And so Paul's saying, look around. Passover wasn't observed alone, neither is communion. This is a family thing, a church family thing. And so when we take communion, we are making a commitment to each other. We are making a commitment to protect, to love, to care about each other, to be concerned about each other. Not just not to harm, but to actually proactively care for each other. And in fact, if we come and we have bitterness towards somebody or something that happened yesterday or last week or two years ago is still in our minds, this is not the table for us until we've dealt with that. Until we've asked forgiveness for that. This is a symbol not only of our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other. And it's a monthly checkpoint to say, are you right with God? Are you right with with His people? Sobering, isn't it? But awesome. Because when I come to the table, I should think, have my my words hurt anyone here this, this month? Have my actions harmed somebody? Have I heard about needs that I haven't acted on? Maybe God put it on my heart to write a note to somebody that's just struggling and hurting. And I ignored it because I had better things to do with my life. How have I missed opportunities to care for one another? Village, don't miss the community aspect of communion. How am I caring for you? How are you caring for me? If we leave things undealt with, and this is why it's a regular thing, if we leave things undealt with, they fester, they they harm the body, they harm our work for Christ. Let's not have anything against each other. Let's commit today to dealing with that. Because sin against another believer is sin against Christ. If we're not right with each other, we are not right with God. It's that important. They would have got that. In their culture, to eat with somebody was to, to be, be one with them in many ways. To have fellowship with them. Um, if somebody was in your house, you would extend your protection over them. You've heard me talk about that in their culture because the hospitality culture is, is foreign to us. One individual was, was talking about um, a situation where they had someone eat in their house, another man eat in their house, and all of a sudden this group came and said, that man that you're eating with beat your son up. We are here to take him and, and we are here for justice. And the father said, no, go in peace. I just ate with him. That's what eating with someone meant. That's what eating together means. It means I've got your back. You've got my back. We will care for each other. We will stand side by side in our walk with God and serve Him. So many more things we can say on this. But think about this. 
Jesus died so that each one of us could be adopted into the family. When we ignore the other family members, we are ignoring the people he died for. And he takes that personal. And so Paul uses this as a corrective for the church to say, open your eyes, look around you. You don't take communion alone. We eat together. You can see how serious it is in the remaining verses. In verse 30, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. We see the effects of some of this judgment uh, on that God sometimes allows physical things to happen. This does not mean that all sin is a, all sickness is a result of sin. But it does mean that if we're struggling with a lot of sickness, we should at least ask the question, am I right with God? But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. If we really examined ourselves and looked inside. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, and here's his practical solution. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Sort of, sort of the obvious solution. Don't go on ahead. Be considerate of each other. Wait. Bring others in. That word for waiting isn't just a time thing. It's about bringing others along, including others. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Probably some other issues in worship that they were dealing with, and we don't know what they are. I'd love to know what they were, but we don't. And so Paul says, when you come together, think about how someone else is is taking communion. Pray for someone else. Look out for each other. Five things that we should be looking at when we come to the table. Look at Jesus, what He's done. Look forward to His wonderful return. Look outside of ourselves to other people that need to be at this table with us. Look inward to make sure I'm right with God, right with His people. And then look around to make sure I'm caring for His body, His church, His people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear Lord God, we thank You and praise You for this symbol You have given us, that You have asked us to observe, but that means so much. A reminder of Your incredible love and grace. A reminder of a future that is secure. A reminder that You want all to hear the good news and to follow You. Lord, a reminder that we're to be right with You and right with each other. Lord, build in us a congregation, a church family that genuinely cares for each other beyond Sunday morning, beyond these few hours, but all week that we are caring for each other, looking out for each other, being brothers and sisters in Christ instead of individuals that happen to be saved. Thank You for Your Word, God. In Jesus' name.